You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Todd Wicks. And I'm the Welfare Husky Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, March 16th. Later in the program, the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation filed a petition to appeal annexation in areas 1A and 1B. WFHB News speaks with Margaret Clements, the president of the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, in the bottom half of tonight's program. Also coming up in the next half hour, cyber warfare and homegrown ripoffs on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature. But first, your environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Wednesday, March 16th, and I'm Todd Wicks filling in for Nathaniel Weinzapfel. The Environmental Resilience Institute's Resilience Cohort, based at Indiana University, is a program that has been working towards planting more trees and other vegetation across the state in response to climate change. Indiana's cities and towns, with their massive amounts of concrete and lack of vegetation, have lended themselves towards climate change effects being more common. These surfaces allow large amounts of flooding and more heat retention on the Earth's surface. The planting of trees helps mitigate these effects by having their roots strengthen the soil and absorb more moisture. Their canopies help shade and keep the temperature cooler. Over 30 local governments across the state have begun participating and new trees have begun to pop up everywhere. A shocking discovery from the Smithsonian Magazine has found that over a third of all animal feed originating from Singapore contains endangered shark meat. The researchers found that the ingredients listed, such as fish, ocean fish, or whitefish, have been the sources of shark meat. While shark meat is not dangerous towards pets, most owners would be surprised that their cats and dogs were eating endangered animals. A study published last year in the Nature Journal found that global shark and ray numbers have decreased by over 70% since 1970. The Smithsonian researchers support clearer ingredient labeling that allows owners to better choose the right food for their pets and reduce the harm done to shark populations. President Biden's hopes for the appointment of his Federal Reserve nominee, Sarah Bloom Raskin, have tanked since last week as Senator Joe Manchin announced that he will not vote to confirm that candidate. This is due to Raskin's belief that financial regulators should have the ability to prepare for the economic fallout that would be caused by climate change. Moderate Republicans and Manchin have cited their belief that all energy sources, both renewable and non-renewable, should be financed and supported. 
this is a major blow to one of the tenets of Biden's environmental platform that seeks to encourage government agencies to understand how the increasing amount of extreme weather events and the transition to renewable energy could impact the financial stability of the country. And that's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Todd Wicks. and polyfluorochal substances, commonly referred to as PFAs or forever chemicals, are the subject of recent scrutiny. These synthetic organic compounds have been used in everyday products since the 1940s, including common brands like Scotchgard, Teflon, L'Oreal, MAC, Ulta, and CoverGirl. They are used to make non-stick and waterproof products, ranging from cookware to personal care products and textiles. Their presence is widespread, in fact, PFAs have been detected in the blood of approximately 97% of Americans and was even detected in breast milk. PFAs are environmentally persistent, enabling them to accumulate in wildlife and people. Once they enter your body, it is impossible to remove them, meaning multiple exposures to small quantities will build up over time. Many studies have shown that exposure to PFAs has adverse health effects including liver damage, thyroid disease, decreased fertility, obesity, hormone suppression, high cholesterol, and cancer. The 2019 movie Dark Waters, starring Mark Ruffalo as Robert Billot, drew much attention to this issue. Robert Billot, the attorney responsible for bringing these chemicals to light by pursuing legal action against manufacturer DuPont de Nemours, Incorporated recently visited Indiana University thanks to efforts by Professor Marta Venier at the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs. According to the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, community public water systems will be tested for PFAs. This project started in February 2021 and will continue through May 2023 in three phases. Phase two, when community water systems serving less than 3,300 people is tested, is set to conclude in December 2022. The latest released results are for samples collected in August 2021. PFAs were detected in treated drinking water in two of the community public water systems tested, Charlestown and Clark County, and Morgan County Rural in Morgan County. PFAs were also detected in untreated water at Hartford City Water Works in Blackford County and Aurora Utilities in Dearborn County. The detected levels were below the unenforceable EPA health advisory level of 70 parts per trillion, but there are currently no maximum contaminant levels established by the EPA. The U.S. House of Representatives passed the PFAs Action Act of 2021, which would require the EPA to categorize PFAs as hazardous substances and clean up Superfund sites. As of July 22, 2021, the Senate has not voted on the act, meaning PFAs are still completely unregulated. Illinois, Ohio, and Michigan have some regulations in place, but Indiana has not passed any regulation to monitor or restrict PFAs levels. The PFAs Project Lab has an interactive map that depicts known and suspected contamination sites for PFAs across the U.S. Currently, you can contact the state government to get your water tested for bacteria, fluoride, nitrate, lead, copper, and arsenic. For PFAs testing, you need to contact one of the EPA-approved private companies. You can also check online for lists of PFA-free brands. At the Monroe County Council meeting on March 8th, Auditor Catherine Smith gave an update on annexation results. Um, I just want to touch base with you and see if you guys had any questions about annexation. Uh, as you know, five of the seven areas 
pass muster on the um, number of people who uh, petitioned against it. Can you hear me now? I talk so loud, I'm always afraid I'm gonna blow your ears out. Um, so anyway, so five of the seven areas passed on um, the number of people who petitioned. Six had to be exceeded, had to exceed 65%. Uh, two areas, 1A and 1B, fell between uh, the 51 and the 65%. So that determination is yet to be made. And I know there are people who are working on uh, possibly filing um, to uh, block the annexation through a court process. That has not happened yet. The number of days still available to do that is still in the, um, and that's 15 working days, um, still in the, uh, in the period of time that they can, they can do that. But there was two ways, and I've been asked about uh, annex, about uh, assess values. So we looked at uh, the number of people first, and then if it would not have, um, the five areas would not have uh, had enough, we would have looked at AV, uh, but they, um, they did. So we didn't have to look at the AV because it's either or. In 1A and 1B, um, it, it, it did not exceed 65% on AV or um, or on the number of people. So I kind of want to clarify that in your, um, if you had any questions about that um, and just really ask you, is there any, is there anything you want to ask me? Council member Marty Hawk said that in the process of remonstration has brought community members in the county together. Um, first of all, uh, congratulations to all the people who really went out there and went door to door and just work so hard for their neighborhoods. And um, so, I mean, I'm just grateful to see that kind of interaction here and, and uh, people meeting new neighbors that uh, that was, if nothing else comes of this, that was a really great thing to see people working together. Council member Jennifer Crossley asked if the individuals in areas 1A and 1B would have to pay to file themselves. Smith said that they would. Another item on the agenda was that Highway Director Lisa Ridge gave an update on road work being done and requested approval of funds to be transferred to finish the construction. Hawk commented that the roads on some streets have so many potholes that people have been damaging their vehicles. Ridge explained why the potholes are such a prevalent issue right now and how they fill them given the weather constraints. Actually, the plant had actually opened up. What we, what we use in the winter is called a cold mix, and it definitely does not hold like a hot mix, but that is all that is available um, in the winter months for the potholes and when we get into spring. The worst thing that happens is when we get the rains, and then like this weekend, we're going to be down to 10 degrees, and we get that freeze, and that's what we call a freeze-thaw time, and that is what's creating those potholes. Um, uh, last week, the plant did open. They had a big paving project for another company, but they allowed us to come in for three days and uh, get hot mix. And so we used four crews a day everywhere we could to try and catch up with some of the major potholes. But it's just that freeze and thaw period right now that, that creates those. So um, hopefully within the next month, we'll be back to hot mix and, and can um, do the best that we can with those right now with the cold mix. The next County Council meeting will be held on April 12th. 
Earlier today, residents in Annexation Areas 1A and 1B filed a petition for appeal of annexation for declaratory judgment and for damages with the Monroe County Circuit Court. In today's featured interview, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with the president of the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, Margaret Clements, about the remonstration process and what's next for the organization. For more, we turn to Cade Young. Margaret Clemens, president of the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, welcome back to the WFHB Local News. Thank you for inviting me, Cade. Well, thank you for being here. So, Margaret, the county audit numbers came through late last month. Five of the seven proposed annexation areas received enough votes, enough petitions to successfully remonstrate. What do you make of this final tally, so to speak? Well, it's a huge success of the public will and the public will to speak in their own best interest. They uh, showed up in large numbers, much larger than the 65% required to void annexation uh, in order to oppose an ordinance that isn't in their best interest. And they signed petitions, they organized, and they got the job done, even though the rules for remonstration were quite uh, onerous. Now, two districts, Margaret, areas 1A and 1B, did not reach the 65% threshold needed to cancel out the annexation, but they did receive over 51%, which is enough to appeal the annexation in court. So, Margaret, would you walk me through what county residents are doing right now to prepare for this battle in the courts? Well, they have hired a great attorney who will represent them in the courts. And today, a lawsuit is being filed appealing the annexation and requesting a declaratory judgment against the city of Bloomington and the mayor of Uh, Bloomington and the Common Council of the City of Bloomington in order to void the annexation. I see. Thank you for walking us through that. Now, when it comes to being able to hire that attorney and and have this fight in the courts, um, it obviously takes a large sum of money. So how are county residents raising those funds and preparing for this battle in that way? Well, County Residents Against Annexation is a not-for-profit 501c3 public charity. And so tax-deductible donations can be made to our organization, and it will pay for representing the people's will. Well, thank you. I wanted to shift a little bit here, Margaret, and just talk about the grassroots efforts that were made here. So would you just talk about the grassroots movement in general that you undertook along with other county residents in order to fight annexation? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that in a state where involuntary annexation is the law, it really puts the residents at a disadvantage. The rules to remonstrate and to oppose annexation effectively tied the hands of the residents behind their back in a, in a huge battle against something that was being enacted against their will and without their involvement or cooperation. 
And so there were so many rules and procedures that somebody needed to own property, that they must be the person on the deed, that they must not have a waiver on the property. And then they had to file a notarized statement that said that they were remonstrating against the ordinance and against annexation. And it was a really complicated process and it was in a pandemic. And so what we did beginning in May is we understood that this would be complicated. So we embarked on a public education campaign that taught people about what their rights were. And we uh, also collected signatures on trial petitions uh, so that we could try to convince the Bloomington City Council that 65% of the residents or more would remonstrate and void the annexation and that it was in everyone's best interest to just not pass the ordinance. Well, our petitions, although we did achieve more than 65% across the areas, were not convincing to the city council. And so they passed the ordinances anyway. And when the auditor began her 90-day official remonstration period, we were well prepared to go out and knock on those doors once again and get the signatures of the property owners who did not want to be annexed. And that's, we had volunteers across the annexation areas. We had just a wonderful team of people who helped throughout the entire process secure the signatures that would help represent what the people wanted. Well, thank you for outlining that for me, Margaret. So I wanted to ask you, now that the remonstration petitions have been counted, on the city side of things, what do you expect the city's next move to be? And you know, where, where are you predicting the city's mindset to be at this point in time? Well, if they were prudent and thoughtful and respectful of the community, they would enact an ordinance that would void the annexation. They've spent a lot of money trying to force onto the people what the people don't want and what is not in their best interest. I think I saw a report that it's well over $1.4 million that they've spent on this effort. And uh, the prudent thing to do, and the wise thing to do, and the elegant thing to do would be to enact another ordinance that makes the annexation void. And we hope for that. We hope for good judgment. But in that, if that doesn't occur, well, we're prepared to defend the residents in court and ask a judge to do it for them. I see. I see. That seems to be the likely scenario that will play out. But thank you for uh, you know giving us your insight. Now, I asked what's next for the city, right? I, I want to turn that question to you. So now what is next for the county residents against annexation? Well, we are prepared, no matter what follows this action, to continue to represent the will of the residents in each of the annexation areas. We hope that uh, this doesn't become a long protracted legal battle, but if it does, you know, we're uh, girding our loins, so to speak. All right. Well, Margaret, is there anything else that you would like to add before we part ways? I would just like to say how humbled I am to have met with residents across all of the annexation areas, the thousands of people who told me personally that they did not want to be annexed, that this was not in their best interest, and that they felt as though the process was not uh, done in a respectful way. 
it didn't involve them and they feel disrespected. And I'd like to tell them that I really appreciate all of their service and their signatures on the petitions because that's what matters. Well, Margaret Clemens, president of the Monroe County Residents Against Annexation, thank you for coming on to the WFHB Local News. Thank you so much, Kate. It's a delight to talk with you. Up next, cyber warfare and homegrown ripoffs on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. This episode covers Ukraine war scams and ripoff websites. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. As I'm sure you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been dominating the news, and it's still going on. Anytime actual fighting starts up, there's something called the fog of war that descends on all the information coming from the battlefields. Reports of losses and victories are pumped up into propaganda, and it's only long after the smoke clears that impartial experts are able to sift through the available evidence and state authoritatively that nobody really knows. War is a man-made disaster, and just like hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, and other natural disasters, scammers and swindlers jump on the situation and try to use it to get people to give them money. Two of the top tactics are clickbait shock and awe stories, which try to get your attention with headlines and claims that amaze you, hoping you'll click a link and swallow a virus. And fake appeals for humanitarian aid, often targeted at groups who have special interests, like aid for children or families, pets, schools, churches, and so on. If you want to help, research anybody before you give, and it's best if you find them. Beware of anyone who finds you. These days, a shootin' war slaps over into the war that's already going on in cyberspace. The two sides attack each other over the internet, and some of the fake websites and phishing emails and nasty malware going around can come from a state-sponsored hacker. And individual scammers can sometimes get hold of the state-sponsored malware and use it themselves. The FBI has been issuing warnings about Ukraine war-related scams, and so has another organization you may not have heard of, CISA. That stands for Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency. CISA deals with attacks on organizations, including governments, large and small, businesses of any size, or any group that has its own cyber network, especially if it uses the cloud. And they also watch out for attacks on water treatment plants, electricity distribution, traffic controls, and other places that can cause real havoc if they go down. If you run a business with a network of computers, or if you work for a business like that, somebody 
somebody in your organization ought to visit the CISA website, that's cisa.gov, and get familiar with their warnings and the resources they have to help when an attack goes home. Again, that's cisa.gov. Check it out and spread the word. Here in Indiana, the Better Business Bureau is warning about the ripoff websites. They seem to be running a very simple scam called Take the Money and Run. That's when you sell people something and don't deliver it. One way to tell the Ghanifs from the good guys is to look for a street address. Legitimate online sellers tell you where they live. The scammers don't. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MTI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. You can find more information online at mpisolar.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Nathaniel Weinsappel, Bodie Hoover, and Noelle Herhusky Schneider in participation with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Noelle Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Todd Wicks. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for cool solutions, climate action from the bottom up, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts and 
individual stories and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer 